Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Horizon. If you're able to, would you please stand up with us and join us as we sing together? Come on.
darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt
forgiven Because you are forsaken I'm accepted You were condemned I'm alive and well Your spirit lives within me Because you died and rose again I'm forgiven Because you were forsaken I'm accepted You were condemned I'm alive and well Your spirit lives within me Because you died and rose again
saying the words, you are my king, I want to lead us in a time of prayer, maybe more extended time of prayer than you've been in before, so we reflect on what it means for God to be our king. At times of Passover, the Israelites will say, Baruch, Atah, Adonai, blessed are you, God, the God of the universe. Let's pray together. Maybe you want to begin the new year by declaring him king in your life. Say words like this. Lord, I declare you were king over last year. You were king over the things I expected. But you're also king over things I didn't expect. God, I declare you king over this year. And I'm going to trust you, whatever comes my way. Declare him, say, God, I declare you king over the unknown. You are king over my fears. What's a specific area of your life you want to declare him king over? God, you're king over my family relationships. I declare you king over my calendar. I declare you king over my pocketbook. Father, I declare you king over my imagination. God, it can work for me when it's submitted to you and it can work against me when it turns into worry or control for I declare that I want my imagination my senses what I hear and what I say to be submitted to your your reign father maybe you want to say to him God you're not just a king you are the king And God, you're not just the king, you're my king. And I want you to reign. Maybe mention a specific area you want him to reign after, reign over. Maybe it's your health. Say, Father, reign over my health. Whether you had a good report or a bad report and no report, Father, reign over my health. Declare that he will reign over uncertainty when it comes this year, because it will. Father, reign over every opportunity that comes our way, every challenge that is before us. Maybe there's a specific opportunity in 2023. You want to just take a moment and say, God, reign over and mention that opportunity specifically or that challenge. (laughs) 
Finally, God says his kingdom is bigger than any other kingdom. So maybe you want to confess, God, I've been living for a kingdom that's smaller than yours. His kingdom of forgiveness is bigger than sin. Declare it. Say, Father, your kingdom of forgiveness is bigger than what I've done. God, thank you that your kingdom is bigger than my past. And Father, forgive me for living for lesser kings. Father, we just confess we live in the kingdoms of this world and we forget to live for our true and one king. But Father, you are the true king. For many kings have come into this world and they have sacrificed their servants for the sake of themselves. But Father, you are the one king that came into this world and sacrificed yourself for the sake of your servants on that cross, that we would know what real kingdom is, that we would know that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to take the bread, a reminder that Jesus came to die for us, to give himself and sacrifice for us. We love this king. We worship this king because he loved us first. Let's partake together. That king stood before his disciples and said, I call you friends. We're not just his disciples, we're his friends. We're not just his followers or his servants in the kingdom. We're actually co-heirs with Christ because what he did on the cross. Let us partake together. Father, thank you. Thank you for being the greatest example of royal goodness and royal faithfulness. Thank you for adopting us into your family through the cross. Thank you for the new identity we have in and through you. We want to follow you this year as our king. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Steve, for leading us through that time of prayer. You know, we've been praying, we've been singing about how Jesus is our king, how we want God to be king in our life. And the last time we were together in a worship service like this was Christmas Eve, where we were celebrating and singing things like, born is the king of Israel. And there's always kind of a strange pivot, I feel like. I don't know if you feel this from Christmas to New Year's, from angels and shepherds to, I guess, second kings? Is, is there any connection here? And yet you still, you hear that word king that keeps coming back. And as I was singing through our Christmas Eve service, all nine of them, like one of the things that just stuck out to me in a strange way was that we kept singing, born is the king of Israel. Like, what do I care? I'm not from Israel. Like, when do you ever hear like, born is a king in England? That's interesting for tabloids, and maybe you see it on Twitter a couple times, but it has no effect on my daily life, right? If somebody has a baby that could be king someday. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, still celebrating the birth of the king in Israel that the shepherds saw and about whom the angels sang, because there's something different about this king. 
This was the king of kings. This was the Messiah. This was the one that they had been waiting for for thousands of years, for centuries, watching king after king after king come and go while they waited for this king, Jesus Christ. And so when we jump into our study of 2 Kings, it's actually setting the tone, laying the foundation, and providing the history of something that's building towards one of the most incredible promises in the entire Bible. In fact, this book is really part two. First and 2 Kings in the Hebrew Bible are together as like one long volume. So we really are jumping right into the middle of the action. But what you're going to see that this reveals to us as we go through this study is that God wants to be my first king, not my second king. Isn't that clever? Chad came up with that. I really like that, though. (laughs) Since he told that to me, it's like it kind of sticks in your head. And it totally sets the tone for all of the problems that we're going to see with people who make something in their life king instead of God. Because God doesn't want to be second king. He doesn't want to be second banana. He doesn't want to be a little bit of help here and there when I really need him. He wants to be the first king in my life and to show me how good that can be. So to understand where we're jumping in, we've got to get a little bit of historical context for second kings. So we'll we'll use this chart sometimes. This is like an overview of the entirety of Old Testament history. So all the way on the left side here, you've got Abraham with his nice beard. Isaac, his son, Jacob wearing the the 12 because he was a wrestler, so it's like a wrestling uniform because he had 12 sons who become the tribes of Israel. And it was to these men, to these founding fathers of this faith, that God first made the promise that a Messiah would come from their line. They go into Egypt, as we saw in Numbers last year, they wander through the wilderness until finally they come into the promised land. This tiny little country, Israel, And there's a moment where they ask for a king. So God gives them a king. His name is Saul. Things don't go that well for Saul. And so the next king is David. David is the one to whom God says the Messiah is actually going to come from your family line. So now everyone's watching David's family line. From then on, every new king born to that family, could this be the one? Is this the king we've been waiting for? The king of kings. The king who is actually Lord. But of course, the first son of David who becomes king is Solomon. And like his dad, Solomon has some of his own problems. And without going into all the details, suffice to say that the moment we are in now is after the kingdom of Israel has divided. So now there's a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. They each have separate kings, they're each on separate tracks, and they each have similar problems. (laughs) So if you go through this history... Judah has mostly bad kings, but there's a few good ones here and there. Israel has, like, all bad kings. One of the absolute worst was a man named Ahab. You can find most of his story in 1 Kings, but suffice to say, he's one of the worst kings, and he's married to the worst queen, Jezebel. We still use Jezebel's name as like an insult, like, oh, she's a Jezebel. Like, whatever that means, it's not good. (laughs) You don't see people naming their babies Jezebel, uh, at least very often. I've never seen it. Okay, so you've got like the worst king and the worst queen are married to each other. They are intensely anti-Yahweh. They are anti-God. And at that time, the prophet of God was Elijah. They are intensely anti-Elijah. They want Elijah dead. They want him out of the picture. They try that multiple times. 
And Elijah, one of the things he's famous for, he's the guy that calls down fire from heaven to consume his sacrifice and prove that his God is the only real God. Well, at the beginning of 2 Kings, it's going to tell us that Ahab has died, but the son of Ahab and Jezebel, a king named Ahaziah, is now king in Israel, also known as Samaria. Now, if you missed all of that, you can read it in First and Second Kings. <laughs> we'll get some more of this history next week as we work through it, because that means that Ahaziah steps onto the scene, and he is every bit as anti-God and anti-Elijah as his parents were. So let's pick this up in Second Kings chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 1, and I'd encourage you, find this in your paper Bible, pull it up on an app, follow along, because what I'd like to do is, is kind of just work through this passage unpack some things along the way, and then come back at the end and talk about how we apply some of these things specifically to our lives. That way we don't kind of lose the flow of the story as we go. And one of the things you'll notice here is how much the theme comes up of inquiring of God. So it says, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Okay, that's that really bad king who just died. Now Ahaziah, right, this is their son who is king now, Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. I'm telling you, right into the middle of the action. So Ahaziah, this negative king, he's anti-God, he's anti-Elijah, and he has this accident. This, this lattice is probably something like a balcony, and whatever the injury is, he's afraid that he's dying from it. So he says, I need help. And where does he turn? Well, it says he turns to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Now, one of the things we'll discover as we go through 2 Kings is that God is a genius communicator, and the wordplay that is in this book is often poignant, but often hilarious. Because Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, historical records show that really the name is probably Beelzebul, which means the lord of the high places or the highest lord. Right, so Ekron has this false god that they call the lord of the high places. But when the Israelites talk about him, they change like one letter. So instead of Beelzebul, it's Beelzebub, which now means lord of the flies. They're mocking him. That instead of this, this Lord over high and wonderful things, he's the Lord of flies and death and decay. So every time they write it down in 2 Kings, they keep writing Belzebub, like, oh, that's who you want to talk to? The Lord of the flies. He's going to help you out. Maybe he'll eat your rotting corpse after you die from this injury. Okay, put a fine point on it, right? So here's what happens next. Verse 3, it says that the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, right, that's the prophet Elijah, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. So he's going to intercept them on their way to that false god and say to them, is it because there's no god in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And there's more wordplay going on here. We lose it a little bit in the English, but that word angel and that word messengers, they're the same Hebrew word. All right, so you see how Ahaziah begins to pit himself against God. 
right? That there are two kings at play here. And Ahaziah thinks that he's got a God on his side and he's the king of his own life and he'll decide what he wants to do and how he wants to do it and he doesn't need Yahweh's help. But you see the face-off begins as he sends his messengers, but God sends his messengers. All right, so it's constantly showing us the parallels and the conflict. And so as this wordplay comes through, one of the things that you notice is that there's a question of inquiring. Why wouldn't you inquire of the God in Israel? And it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek question because is it because there's no God in Israel? Well, Ahaziah knows full well who the God of Israel is. In fact, even his enemies know who the God of Israel is. One of the other really fun things about 2 Kings is that we're getting far enough into human history that more and more archaeological things have survived from this time period. So one of those is known as the Misha steel. And you're looking at it here. We're actually going to hear about Misha in chapter 3 because Misha was basically subjugated by Ahaziah's dad. Don't worry about keeping track of all these names. I know it's a lot of history going on. But what's really interesting about this, Misha, an enemy of Israel at this very time, this stone has survived from his kingdom where he basically brags about the other nations and the other gods that he has fought against. And what you see in yellow on the right side about halfway up, that word says Yahweh in their language. Even their enemy Misha knows that Yahweh is the God of Israel. So when God asked Ahaziah, hey, did you not realize that I'm here in this place, that I'm available, that you can talk to me? Oh, he knows. This is rejection. This is rebellion. So verse 5 says that when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? Like, that didn't take long enough. I know how far Ekron is. What are you doing here? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go, return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Verse 7, then he said to them, what kind of man was it? What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> right? Thanks a lot. A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. So let that simmer for a second. What does Elijah look like? That to describe him, out of all the people you've ever met in your life, if we need to make sure you know who this is, you don't say, oh, it's, you know, that one prophet that fought with your parents? Like, wouldn't that be an easier answer? Even easier, it's that hairy guy. You know that hairy guy? So here's another just genius wordplay of God's. The Hebrew behind that phrase, remember, they mocked the foreign god as the Lord of the flies. This phrase, a hairy man, could actually be translated the Lord of hair. He's the, so I don't, know, I don't know if that means Fabio or if that means Sasquatch, but whatever it is. I mean, some people even think it's the garment he wore. Like maybe this is one of the parallels to John the Baptist when they point to Elijah. Maybe it's a hairy garment. Whatever it is, everybody knows Elijah is the hairy man. Right, so they're mocking him right back. They're mocking him as a servant of God. Because remember, Ahaziah wants to finish what his parents started. Right? They have failed 
to oust Elijah because God keeps coming to his rescue. But Ahaziah is not giving up. And so what you see happen in verse 9, this is actually an act of war against God and against his servant. It says, Then the king sent to him, to Elijah, a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill, and he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. Now, you don't send a captain of 50 and 50 soldiers to invite someone to tea. This is to arrest him, to drag him back to the kingdom, and ultimately Ahaziah's goal is to put him to death. So this captain of 50 and his 50 men show up, and they command him, Man of God, come down. Verse 10, so Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now you notice, Elijah can't actually bring the fire down. God has to send it. This is God fighting back on behalf of his servant. And if you're Ahaziah, or, or if you're this captain, or if you're this 50, it's like, wait a minute, we knew this about Elijah, didn't we? Like, this is what he's famous for, is calling down fire. And yet they marched right into that moment. But I'm sure, at this point, we've learned our lesson. The next verse is going to be how Ahaziah repents and turns back to the Lord, right? Let's check. Verse 11. Then he sent to him another captain of 50, with his 50 men. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> okay. And he answered and said to him, man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. Same thing. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Twice now, exact same thing. I am sure we have learned our lesson. But let's check verse 13. Again, he sent a third captain a third captain of 50 with his 50 men, and the third captain of 50 went up. Now notice what changes here. The first two captains, they come to Elijah, they demand, Elijah, come down. Watch the change in this captain. The third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, man of God. Actually sounds like he's the first one that means that. Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours, not of Ahaziah's, of yours, be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. See, one of the things you notice with this captain, he can't change King Ahaziah. Right, he just keeps sending another captain and more soldiers. Like he is locked in on this rebellion. He can't change the king, but he can change his king. In that moment, this captain of 50 is saying, we will be servants of Elijah, the servant of the Lord, instead of Ahaziah and Beelzebub or whatever else he's got going on. Instead of demanding, trying to be in control and saying, I don't care what God said, you come down. He submits himself. He goes up and falls on his knees and begs for mercy. It's an incredible picture of the humility of the human heart when we realize I'm not the king 
And I don't want to trust a king that only has himself in mind. I don't want to trust a king that is mistake after mistake after mistake with no ability to seek the one true God. So he says, let our lives now be precious in your sight. And you notice that then the Lord takes a different approach as well in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he rose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Elijah, now speaking to Ahaziah, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there's no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. That word inquire, sometimes it's translated to seek or to search, and it can take the tone of like asking for something, asking for a favor. But most of the time, the Hebrew word behind this is darash, most of the time it's translated seek. It's the idea of desperately seeking for the purpose of commitment and worship. This is the word that's used to describe righteous men when it says he was somebody who sought the Lord with all his heart. He inquired of God with everything in him. So God's looking at him and saying, why would you do that to something that's not me? And imagine what that feels like for God. That God says, I'm here. I'm available. I mean, we just talked about the sacrifice he made for us, the forgiveness that's available. Why would you not come and talk to me instead of continuing to seek your own strength, your own power, your own success to give you some sense of control or stability or safety in your life? You fell through the lattice. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. And so I think on, on one sense, if you're like me, it's easy to read a chapter like this. And one of the things we're always looking for is, is there an example to follow or not to follow? And that's one thing that can help you unpack a passage of scripture. Well, Ahaziah is the most obvious example not to follow, that it's easy to read this, breeze right past it, and keep going. Like, yeah, that guy was an idiot. Thank goodness I'm not an idiot. But I want us to slow down a little bit. You're not an idiot. I can be an idiot. But, but there's a few questions that I think this begs for us. And the first one really is pretty straightforward. Will I inquire of God as my king? Ahaziah continued to refuse to do that. And again, on the surface, I know that like, all of us are going to think, yes, I will. But let's process that for a second. Because even when I believe that's the right idea... I have to admit, there are times and places in my life I still don't do it. Why? What holds us back from that? I think one layer of it is just pride. Ahaziah doesn't want God king in his life. He likes his life. He likes the authority he has. He likes the comfort that he has as king. And he likes a God who will do what he says. <laughs> he doesn't want a God where he'll have to do what God says. And that, that's a pretty standoffish approach to take. You know, maybe you don't feel that one terribly often. Maybe you don't wake up in the morning and say, God just wanted you to know I'm in charge of my life. It would be a weird way to say your morning prayer, right? And so maybe it's a little bit more subtle. I think sometimes we don't inquire of God because we're not sure we're going to like what he's going to say. And this is a little bit like my kids do this. I know I did this as a kid too. Maybe, maybe you've seen this happen. Uh, 
there's something that the children want, but they're not going to ask dad because they know dad's going to say no. Let's give mom a try. Or they know mom's going to say no. Let's give dad a try. Maybe mom already said no, but maybe if I ask dad, uh, sometimes it, it, it cracks me up. Like I remember this as a kid. Like Sometimes I know that mom and dad are both going to say no. Let me see what Uncle Kevin thinks about this. Like, we just start reaching, right, for somebody who might tell me it's okay to do what I want to do. Right? That's basically what Ahaziah is doing. Like, he knows how out of line he has been with God's holy standard. So he doesn't even want to talk to God. Right? Completely missing that God would offer forgiveness. But I think sometimes that's how it comes through in our lives. I don't want to talk to God because I don't want to know. Right? There's things that I'm struggling with or there's things that I want And God says, you don't need that, or even that's bad for you. There's things that my culture says, and I get so wrapped up in that, and I think, doesn't the Bible say something like, I don't know, you know what, I don't, la, 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 like, you know, it's not my fault if I didn't read it. And so sometimes, almost sort of passively, but sort of actively, we avoid God because we think we won't like what he might say about this situation, or this opportunity, or that sin in our lives. Other times I think this shows up almost in a better way that Ahaziah misses. Because I'm thinking if I'm Ahaziah, maybe he's ignored him his entire life, but bro, you fell through the lattice and you're dying. So if never before, isn't this a time to at least check in with like, maybe God is who he says he is. Maybe he can save me. Maybe I do need his forgiveness before I go down to my grave. Like this is a serious moment, right? And sometimes it's when crisis hits that we actually snap out of it and turn back to God. So I've been thinking about that one a lot this week because I know that I'm like the resident Bills fan here. At, like everywhere I go, I feel like I'm the only Bills fan. But, but Russ, our drummer, is also a Bills fan. But if you know from the Monday night game this week, you know, you've seen this all over the news. And I love how Cincinnati has like been lit up in red and blue for support for the Buffalo Bills after Damar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest on the field in Monday Night Football. Guys, I was at that game. So I know this probably hits me a little harder because I am a Bills fan and because I was sitting in those stands. But man, like I'm watching it and you're, you're waiting like they're, they're going to sit him up, right? Like why, why isn't he sitting up? They brought out a stretcher. Why isn't he on the stretcher? They brought out an ambulance? But why aren't they putting him in the ambulance? And then my buddy sitting next to me says, dude, it looks like they're doing Compressions? Compressions? What? Like, am I watching a guy die right now? I guess trippy. And all of a sudden, you know, like the world doesn't feel real anymore. Like football, what is football? Like who cares? One of the most amazing things, though, that I saw in those stands at that moment, on the field, all over this city, all over this country, people praying. This dude might die. Like, we have got to do CPR right now. We have got to do compressions right now. We've got to get blood flowing. We've got to get oxygen going. And we have got to talk to God about this. So this is the entire Bills team huddled out on the field. Coach McDermott at the center. Coach McDermott is a follower of Christ, leading them in prayer. And it it was amazing. Like, I don't know if you saw this on ESPN, but Dan Orlovsky, one of the guys on ESPN, also deep follower of Christ, 
And he has this moment on ESPN where he says, I keep hearing thoughts and prayers. And, and you know what? I just want to, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And his co-host says, it is. But I just want to pray right now. I want to actually bow my head and fold my hands and let's talk to God about this. And he prayed live on ESPN. And ESPN reposted it to YouTube. <laughs> like, I thought our culture said prayer is bad. Maybe not. You, know, you hear Josh Allen giving press conferences about having the guys over to his house because they need to pray and they need to worship and they need to be thinking about Damar. It's like grown men hugging, crying, finding strength in prayer. You see Zach Taylor out on the field. You see Joe Burrow out on the field. I've had people texting me all week. I got a random high five at Kroger from some guy because I had my Bills hat on. <laughs> hey, with you. Yeah. I got to tell you, I love this city. Like, it's been so cool to see the way that people have come around this. But on top of that, I also think about, like, I'll bet you DeMar Hamlin is not the only person that went into cardiac arrest in Cincinnati this weekend. I mean, some of you are dealing with very similar things in your own families right now where you're like, I have to talk to God about this. And I think part of what this shows you when this kind of thing happens is people know that they need a strength beyond themselves. That even people who don't pray on a regular basis, when crisis happens, we want to believe that we can inquire of somebody. That we can inquire of a God who is actually listening and can actually do something about this. And it has been amazing and uplifting as the week has gone on to see that Damar, as far as they can tell, no brain damage. Wonderful brain function. His lungs are back to work. They took the breathing tube out. He's been able to talk to the team. I heard he just, his first post on Twitter again, because that's, it's 2023. <laughs> Man, to see the answers to prayer that are coming. But part of what I'm praying is that all of us, everybody who's praying for this kind of thing or anything else in their own life, that that moment doesn't fade away when he starts to feel better, but that we begin to realize, whoa, in the moment of crisis, my heart told me there was something bigger, something higher. There was a king to inquire of who can actually do something about anything. Will I inquire of God as my king? Because if you say yes to that, then here's something that's kind of amazing about that. You put yourself in Elijah's position then, right? I'm inquiring of God, the Lord, Yahweh. He has a name. It's not just God kind of in general and we all kind of pick one. No, his name is Yahweh. This is the God of Israel. Born is the king of Israel. That's who Elijah worships. So when everybody else mocks him, you notice this back in verse 7 and 8. When they mock him, they call him a hairy man. Like maybe it's true, but come on guys. He has a name, Elijah, you can call him that. But look at what God calls him. Scripture records him as a man of God. You see, while Ahaziah is trying to define himself as king, Elijah is turning to the true king. And so the second question I think this raises for us as we try to take this in, do I define the king or does my king define and defend me? And even as Chad was leading us in prayer as we went through communion, Part of what we were leaning into was like, God, I'm going to trust you with opportunities. I'm going to trust you with unknowns. I'm going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to trust you with my health. I'm turning all of these things over to him because he's the king that I can trust. 
Because a lot of times what happens, at least in my life, but I think what happens for a lot of us is if you hand me a piece of paper and it has two boxes, one says God, one says Drew, and it says, please check the box next to your king, God. Right? That's easy. But like on a weekday afternoon when I'm nervous about something or I'm stressed about something or I'm getting angry about something, I don't stop to, get to find the paper and check the boxes. Like I just start to react. And oftentimes if I look behind my reaction, I'll see what my king is. Do I start to get worried, anxious, and stressed out because my financial portfolio isn't going the direction I wanted it to? that thing might be creeping into kingship. Does my life fall apart if my relationships aren't as smooth as I was hoping they would be? Do I start to be negative towards other people? Do I start to lean back from God when I face crisis? Are there temptations or lusts that I give into because I know I shouldn't, but I just keep doing it? Am I leaning away from God and letting those things begin to control me? Then they become my king. And listen, some of those are good things. Family relationships, finances, health, that's all good. But just hear this, like a good thing does not make a great king. We need God as our first king in our lives. When Elijah finds that, instead of trying to define the king, instead of trying to be in control, he gives that control to God and God defends him. God says, you know who you are, Elijah? You're a man of God. So think about this this way for yourself. As a follower of Christ... If your trust is in Jesus for your forgiveness, that you say, hey, I'm a servant of the one true God. I know the Lord. That's my king. This is what he says about you. You are a son. You are a daughter of the king. You are princes and princesses in the kingdom of heaven forever. No matter what the world says about you, no matter what the enemy tries to whisper in your ear, no matter what your own self-doubt would creep in with, God says, let me define you. You are my child, and I pour my love into your heart. Romans 5. A lot of times at the dinner table, we'll do these things with our kids called would you rather. I'm sure you've heard those. Like, would you rather, this is the one that's coming to mind, would you rather drink a bottle of hot sauce or a bottle of ranch? Gross. <laughs> Neither, right? But think about it. Would you rather in kingship? Would you rather, right? I know, gross. Would you rather follow the king where you die for his mistakes or follow the king who died for your mistakes? Right? If I make myself king, I'll die for my own mistakes. If Ahaziah's my king, people are dying for his mistakes. What about following the king, serving the king who died for your mistakes? I got to tell you, that is a good king to serve. That is what Jesus Christ did for us. When we took communion earlier today, when we sing king of kings and you are my king, because he died for our mistakes. He died to bring us closer, to love us, and to make us his children. And I got to tell you, this, this hit me on Christmas Eve. It hit me again over the break and then coming back from break and thinking about it again. Like part of what I love about this place like sometimes we talk about how one of our core values is everybody helps out, which is just kind of a catchy way to say, hey, we're all here to serve, right? Like that's who we believe our God is. That's what we believe he did for us. And so that's what we want to do. And man, did we see it on Christmas Eve. Because for one thing, like in the middle of that brutal weather, 
people showing up to help put on nine Christmas Eve services. Same thing, nine times in a row, celebrating that king, loving the Lord, celebrating his birth, and just volunteers all over this building. Some of them taking multiple shifts, some of them standing out in the cold. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Hope nobody has frostbite. But one of the things that the cold did, I don't know if you heard this, but during our eighth Christmas Eve service, a pipe burst. It burst in the atrium, and what began as a little trickle of water over that main staircase quickly became a deluge as the sprinkler blew out and it emptied all of the water into the atrium, creating like practically a swimming pool in front of the front doors. And because it blew out the sprinkler, then the fire alarm goes off. Check this out. During the Christmas Eve service, So if you were at that one, this is PTSD for you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Because in this room, while they're trying to sing carols, alarms are going off and lights are flashing and all kinds of stuff. And I tell you what, though, it was incredible to see volunteers, people who love Jesus, just jump in and start squeegeeing water and unplugging things so nobody gets electrocuted and spreading salt and shoveling snow. And I thought, you know what? Like, this is one of the most obvious moments to just realize this does not happen at all without you because you serve our king together we even had one of our police officers say that he's seen this happen at multiple businesses and almost everywhere else he goes people start backing off and saying man that stuff ain't my job and here he's like i've just never seen anything like it everybody's trying to help and i just told him i was like well you know uh, jesus said to be servants i mean that's what he did for us i don't know how else to explain it to you because that's the king that we serve That's the king that we love. That's the king that I want in charge of my life. That is something Ahaziah never figured out. And so the last two verses of this chapter says that, so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram, that's his brother, became king in his place. In the second year of Jehoram, that's not his brother. (laughs) Different king, other country, same name, I know. It's going to happen again in this book. We'll do what we can to keep it straight. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So now there's a Jehoram in the north, a Jehoram in the south. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So here's what struck me in that verse. Ahaziah died in verse 17. But he fell through the lattice in verse 2. Why didn't God just let him die in verse 2? Save a whole page of typing, right? (laughs) Save all these guys getting torched on the mountain. I mean, why didn't he die in verse 2? I got to tell you, I think it's kind of like Nineveh. Remember, the message God gave Jonah for Nineveh was, go tell Nineveh, I'm going to destroy them. But Nineveh repents and turns to God, so he relents and forgives them. And one of the key takeaways from Jonah is that even when God declares destruction, there is always in God's character this assumption that if we repent, he loves to forgive. He loves to show mercy. I think this entire chapter was about giving Ahaziah time to turn. And he refused. And so I think the last question for us, will I use the time I'm given to inquire of God and his word. And I don't want you to hear that as a guilt trip. 
Because I'll bet most of us here are not thinking like Ahaziah, or you probably wouldn't have ended up here this morning. And I know, I've been there, so like, maybe you were dragged here by a friend, maybe there's somebody who's telling me, I'm going, I, I want you to come with me, I'm like, ugh, fine, and, but only if you wake me up, and like, I get it, I get it. But you're here for some reason. And so I want to actually just tweak that question a little bit, and, and let's put it this way instead. How can we use the time that we're given to inquire of God and his word? Because by the end of the chapter, maybe I don't know what that looks like. Maybe I'm not sure exactly how to do it. But I think if I have a choice, I'd rather be Elijah than Ahaziah. So how can we? What are some practical ways that we can do that? Now, I am not at all about New Year's resolutions because I've found that I'm more likely to break them if I call them a New Year's resolution. (laughs) But it is the new year. It's a new series. It's a great time to start some of this. And so I want to give you a few ways just to encourage you to inquire of God and his word. To really ask your questions, to really seek him, whether it's crisis or whether it's just a normal day of the week. That we don't lose sight of what it looks like to pursue him and to seek him. Because honestly, that's at the core of why Horizon is here. So if your resolution was to get back to church and this is your first time at Horizon today, just hear this. This is why we think we're here. We want to connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. That with other people, we're getting into his word. We're inquiring of God and his word exactly like it says in this chapter. Like if there were no other chapters in the Bible, you could take our mission statement from 2 Kings chapter 1. Of all the strange places, it shows up. And so one of the ways you might do that is by getting into a group study. Because the other thing that happens in the new year, we have a lot of new group studies beginning. We have a lot of group studies that are restarting. And many of those are using what we call a pathway guide to track right along with the equipping service, taking 2 Kings, so this week it would be 2 Kings 1, and digging more into that chapter and how we apply it. Also, we have some that will, so there are several of those going around all the time. If that's not your cup of tea, there are literally dozens of groups at any given time during the week. Not all of those are listed on our website. But if you give the office a call, if you stop by the hearth room, third door on the left as you leave today, talk to me, talk to Gail. We'd love to share the opportunities that there are to connect with other people, to dig into his word together. In fact, one of those coming up specifically for women is called Seamless. That begins January 25th on Wednesday evenings. And we're taking a look specifically at the life of Christ. Who was this king that we're celebrating? Guys, I can tell you, I don't have a slide for this one, but Thursday mornings at 7 o'clock, there's a group of guys right here in the building that are taking 2 Kings and working through that together. And we would love for you to join us. And most weeks, I'm in the group, but most weeks I'm actually not leading. We get to hear from a number of other guys how they're taking this, how they're applying this, how they're sharing this with one another. Another way you can do that on your own is as we print this pathway every week, there are questions and prayer prompts to help you work through this scripture. To take what you've heard and really apply it. There are pathway videos that come out on Sunday afternoon that both help dig deeper. Especially today, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to pray through a passage like this in the pathway video that comes out. As well as just an opportunity to refresh you through the week. And maybe for you, it's just the personal time. Use an app like Blue Letter Bible. Pull up one of those reading plans that helps you stay on a track of seeking God in his word and getting to know him as your king. Probably not all of those are for you, but maybe one of those is. So would you consider that today? 
Because I'd like to close with you in a word of prayer. And I'm actually just going to use the prayer that the king taught us. I'd like to pray our Lord's Prayer over you. And as I do, I think you'll hear why. So would you bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. If I can help you connect to a group, I'd love to chat with you. Otherwise, we will see you back next week. Thanks for coming.